It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Today is Tuesday, May 5th, 2020. On this day in 1987, Congress commenced a joint hearing to investigate the Reagan administration's illegal funding of the Contras, a guerrilla military group in Nicaragua. The scandal known as the Iran-Contra affair would send Washington into a tailspin and haunt Reagan for the rest of his presidency. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Today we're covering the Iran-Contra affair and the 41-day joint hearing that exposed every intricate detail of the scandal. Let's go back to Washington, D.C. on the morning of May 5th, just before the first hearing convened. As Democratic Senator Daniel Inouye made his way to Capitol Hill, he passed droves of reporters camped out along the National Mall. He passed beneath a giant glass booth strapped to the roof of a nearby building. It was for Dan Rather, who wanted to cover the joint hearings on live television, the iconic domed roof of Capitol Hill behind him. To call this hearing a media circus was an insult to P.T. Barnum, this was a free-for-all. But Senator Inouye had expected this. In a few minutes' time, the entire country would watch as he launched an investigation into Ronald Reagan, one of the most popular presidents in U.S. history. The air was so tense, you could pluck it like a guitar string. Months ago, the attorney general had uncovered a secret arms deal with Iran and the illegal funding of an insurgency in Nicaragua. The media had had a field day. The American people were shocked. An investigation had been called, led by Republican Senator John Tower. But Tower's slapdash report cleared the president of any involvement. The whole thing was a sham. In fact, the only thing Tower had accused the president of was mismanagement. A few days later, Reagan apologized for the oversight. But what? The country was meant to move on, forgive and forget? Inouye wasn't that kind of person. He knew there was more to the story and decided to head an investigation himself. The senator's car pulled up in front of the Capitol building, already filled to the brim with reporters, cameramen, the joint committee, and a slew of non-essential staff members there for bragging rights. Inoue made his way inside to the Senate caucus room. He took his seat among his colleagues from the Senate and the House, 26 congressmen in all, ready to investigate conspiracy charges against the President of the United States. Senator Inouye cleared his throat, then began his opening remarks. He said, 
These hearings this morning and for the days to follow will examine what happens when the trust, which is the lubricant of our system, is breached by high officials of our government. He paused for just a moment, his words echoing through the hall. Not a whisper passed through the crowd. If the rumors were true, the President of the United States had been funding a terrorist organization. He had lied to Congress and the American people. And if he got away with it, the entire system of checks and balances could break down. This wasn't about uncovering a scandal. It was about power and the precedent that all future administrations would govern by. As though reading the minds of every onlooker in the room, Inoue turned grave. This story, he warned, is not a pretty one. In a moment, the scandal that would define a presidency. Now, back to the story. In the early 1980s, the United States was still entrenched in a cold war with the Soviet Union. Anti-communist sentiments were strong, and while most of the Western world lived in fear of the Russians, Governor Ronald Reagan saw the Cold War as a golden opportunity. In 1980, he secured the Republican nomination for president and launched his campaign against Jimmy Carter. His platform included a promise to aid anti-communist insurgencies abroad. Shortly after his inauguration in 1981, Reagan started sending financial support to several of these anti-communist coalitions. They even helped train some of these insurgents at camps in Florida. Of all these militant groups, Reagan took a special interest in the Contras, an insurgency in Nicaragua. The Contras were fighting the Sandinistas, a socialist group that overthrew the Nicaraguan government in 1979. They immediately began dismantling the middle class in hopes of preventing a counter-revolution. But despite their best efforts, a counter-insurgency brewed. Nicaraguan exiles began to receive military training at camps in Florida. In 1981, Ronald Reagan gave the Contras $19 million in financial support. He believed the Contras were the Nicaraguan equivalent of the Founding Fathers. At first, Reagan was praised for his efforts to defend democracy abroad, but a problem soon arose. The United States was not the only entity funding the Contras. In fact, they made the majority of their money through the cocaine trade. In fighting the Cold War, Reagan had inadvertently supported the war on drugs. To make matters worse, information came to light that the Contras were abusing and killing Nicaraguan civilians. Congress was quick to act. They passed the first Boland Amendment in December 1982. The amendment made it illegal for the U.S. to finance any operation to overthrow the Nicaraguan government. But that hardly curbed Reagan's efforts to fund the Contras. It simply moved the operation underground. Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North was put in charge of a secret council called the Enterprise. North spent the next 16 months searching for donations to fund the Contras. He received millions of dollars from unlikely sources, including Saudi Arabia and the Sultan of Brunei. 
During this time, he also turned a blind eye to the Contras drug trade. They trafficked cocaine into the United States and sent the profits back home. Meanwhile, a world away, a perfect storm was brewing. Seven U.S. citizens sat in a rundown house in Beirut, Lebanon. These men were prisoners, taken hostage by a terrorist organization that would come to be known as Hezbollah. By the spring of 1985, some of these men had been captive for years. There was immense pressure on the White House to secure their release. Publicly, Reagan refused to negotiate with terrorists. But privately, he asked his national security advisor, Robert McFarlane, to find a way of bringing the hostages home. With Reagan's permission, McFarlane decided to broker a deal. The Iranian government pressured Hezbollah into freeing the hostages. In exchange, the United States sold the Iranians $30 million in arms. McFarlane funneled $18 million in profits to the Contras, and for a while, Washington was none the wiser. But in 1986, a Lebanese newspaper reported on the Iranian arms deal, prompting Congress to ask, what arms deal? The hearing that followed would last 41 days, slowly unpacking the details of this criminal enterprise. Reagan was accused of negotiating with terrorists. Oliver North admitted to acting with Reagan's permission. The evidence itself was overwhelming. And yet, in the end, the entire affair didn't seem to matter. McFarlane, Oliver North, and National Security Advisor John Poindexter would all be found guilty of conspiracy and obstructing Congress. McFarlane would serve two years probation, but North and Poindexter would evade legal repercussions entirely. Reagan was never indicted on any charges. There was speculation about his involvement for the rest of his presidency, but the public's memory proved chillingly short. Reagan still left office with one of the highest approval ratings in history. His co-conspirators went on to have illustrious careers. In short, they got away with it, hook, line, and sinker. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you find the Iran-Contra affair as fascinating as we do, consider listening to our Deep Dives on Political Scandals, another ParCast original. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. 
Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Aaron Lan, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson.